Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's Wednesday and it's 6 p.m. and that must mean it's time for the Stone and Tile Show. Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, from Houston. And boy, I tell you, uh, we asked for a bunch of questions last week on the show. And boy, did I get a mile. Let's see, I hope I can get through them all today. I probably have 20 questions concerning Stone and Tile issues. But uh, I'll, we'll go ahead and get those in a minute. But before we do, let's go ahead and give out the phone number you want to call in with a question, it is 323-870-3968. It's 323-870-3968. And feel free to call me anytime during my show. If you're a little shy about being on the radio, then you can go ahead and send me an email. My email is fhuston at gmail.com, and that's spelled F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail. Com. And if you're on Facebook, uh, go ahead and uh, send me an message on Facebook. All you have to do is go on Facebook, uh, search for Stone Friends. It should take you to my page, and you can send me an instant message. So I have my open. I have my Facebook open or on the radio. So let's go ahead and get to uh, some of our questions. The first question is actually a question that I've gotten more than once in the past month or two. That is what what I call rising dampened showers. In other words, imagine a marble shower or a shower or a limestone shower, any type of stone shower, and you get wicking that occurs out from the drain itself and up the sides of the wall. Problem, I, as I mentioned, I get calls on this constantly, and I would say probably seven out of ten times what the issue is is clogged weep holes. So what I would do in this case is I would go in, remove the drain cover, and usually it takes a screw or two to remove the drain cover, and go ahead and go down into the drain and take a look to see if those holes, so you should have weep holes in there, are clogged. Now, sometimes they'll clog due to hair and soap and shampoo, body oils or whatever, but I've also had them clogged installation. In other words, this is what we call an installation failure. Installer goes in, puts a shower pan in, and he ends up filling in those weep holes rather than putting gravel or rock around those areas. What what the weep holes are designed to do is to take that excess moisture in the shower pan, allow it to go to the drain, and then drain away. So if you have that issue, then go ahead, check the weep holes. Now you can clean these weep holes out uh, you can basically take a an awl, which is a screwdriver with a point on it, heat it up and bend it so it has like a, a right angle on there, and you can get into that drain and actually unclog those weep holes. If they are clogged, uh, that should drain remaining water. Of course, it's not going to happen immediately. Uh, it's probably going to take a couple of days, if not a couple of weeks, for that shower to dry out. If you want, you can stick a fan in there, uh, tell your client, or if you're doing this yourself, uh, to use another shower if you have one in another room, and let it dry out really well. Uh, if you really want to get it to dry out, then go ahead and put a dehumidifier in there, and uh, that should help dry it out a, a lot, a lot quicker. All right, so question number one, I should say email number one is done. I've got about 20 more to go here. Um, 
I have another question here. Last week we were talking about answers to uh, what am I saying? Failure Friday. Oh, yes. Uh, on my uh, Facebook page, every Friday I post this failure, which I call Failure Friday. And last week I actually posted a picture of this white marble floor that had all this discoloration in it. And I said on my Facebook page that I would reveal the answer on the show. So I'm about to do that now. This is classic iron oxidation. In other words, is known as rust. Now, in this particular photo that you can see on the, the stone inspection form on my Facebook page, it's caused by a flood. A water heater had broke, flooded the floor, sat there, and of course, white marble, as we've mentioned many, many times on this show, contains a lot of iron. And it really, not, not really a lot of iron, but some iron. But what happens if it's wetted for a prolonged period of time, that iron starts to oxidize, similar to the way bare metal on your car oxidizes when it's exposed to water. And the question I often get with these particular cases is, can this be repaired? And my answer to that is maybe, possibly, maybe not, maybe so. It just depends on how severe it is. Usually once that rusting starts, and if the rust is coming from within the stone, uh, there's very little hope of repairing it. I mean, you can imagine here in Florida, we're getting a lot of calls for inspections on floors, showers, wherever, um, that have experienced flooding, and the stone begins to rust, and voila, what you have is an issue. And nine times out of ten, I usually recommend replacing that those those tiles. You know, I was at an inspection a couple weeks ago where, this individual had a roof leak during a hurricane, and just a few tiles along the, the baseboards at the front of the house were rusting. Well, I went in there with my moisture meter, and I'm going to get to that in a second, the use of a moisture meter and gloss meters, et cetera. Uh, I went ahead and took moisture readings and found out that the whole entire room was wet. So what that tells me is the potential for the rest of that stone to begin to rust is high. So I told the insurance adjuster, I said, you may only have a couple of spots here, but I said another week, another month, even as much as a year or two down the road, if this stone is not dried out and that iron begins to oxidize and rust, you're going to see rust stains occur again and again. So my recommendation in that case was to, in fact, uh, remove the material and, and replace it. Um, another email I got, last the dorm since last week's show is someone had placed some sealers and when I'm I talk about sealers I mean signators on the stone and wanted to know how to remove them. Um so first of all if it's an impregnator chances are you can't remove it. Now I know Prosico makes a silicone digester uh, and a few other companies have uh, chemicals that can possibly remove them. But remember, especially with a penetrating sealer, they penetrate below the surface of the stone. And what happens in that case is uh, you'll have to get below the surface of the stone to remove them. And that's, I'm not going to say impossible, but I'm going to say nearly impossible. Now, I had another email where someone was talking about a topical sealer. This was a sealer on top of a, in this case, it was a bluestone. And he said it was healing. And this is, this can be simple or it can be very difficult. The problem he was having, he said it was healing, and that's why he was trying to remove this coating and couldn't remove it. And he tried everything. He tried xylene. He tried all kinds of solvents. 
And to answer this question, we have to back up first. First of all, you have to determine whatever the coating is on the surface, is it in fact being compromised? Is it the reason it's peeling because of moisture in the stone? Now, in this case, I believe this was outside. So, you know, chances are we're going to have moisture. It's going to rain. It's going to get into the stone and it's, it's going to delaminate that coating that's on, on the surface. So what I would do is I would check for moisture first. Now, also in this case, he described what is known as efflorescence, which is that white deposit you see on the surface of stone. And to me, that's a clear indication that there's a moisture issue there. So I say this to all my students constantly. I tell them, in order to fix a problem, you have to know what caused the problem. And this is what we're talking about here. So where's this efflorescence coming from? It's coming from moisture. Locate the source of the moisture, eliminate that, and then we can go ahead and solve the other problem, which is how do we remove this coating? So I'm going to give you a couple of little tips that I use to determine what type of coating that we're dealing with. First thing I would do is take a typical um, floor stripper, uh, you know, a wax stripper. You can buy them at Sam's. You can buy them at your janitorial supply house, uh, Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, wherever. And uh, these are alkaline-based strippers. And take some of that and place it on top of the stone know the coating is and let it sit for about five or ten minutes and then take a scrub brush and try to scrub that area if the coating begins to break down and it begins to to come off then you have a water-based uh, coating which is probably an acrylic in other words a typical floor wax uh, very easy to solve you just go in there with a brush a stripper and you take it off however if that doesn't work, if you get no softening, uh, no dissolving of the coating itself, you're probably dealing with either a urethane or an epoxy. And if that's the case, you're going to need some pretty strong strippers. My go-to stripper in that case would be something that contains methylene chloride. Now, you go into Home Depot or Lowe's and go to the paint department and say, I need some methylene chloride. They'll look at you like, you know, you're an idiot. What are you talking about? But if you look for some of the varnish strippers and you look at the back, it will say under the ingredients or under the incautions, it'll say contains methylene chloride. Uh, one of the brands that I've often used is one called Jasco, J-A-S-C-O, Jasco. It contains methylene chloride, but I believe Home Depot or Lowe's sells one called Cleanse Strip. It's designed for varnish removing. So once you've decided or have gotten the chemical you need for uh, that contains methylene chloride, go ahead and place that on there and let that set for a good 10 or 15 minutes. It should break down that coating. If it does, you're sort of in business. You know what it's going to take to remove it, but that can be a real bear because it's real messy. If you're dealing with a commercial situation, you might even have to contain all that in 55-gallon drums because now it is considered a hazardous waste. There are what we call safe strippers or safer strippers out there that are designed to remove these coatings like a methylene chloride would, but they have a very long dwell time. Um, I've used one called Peel Away. Uh, there's one by 3M. I can't remember. I think that's called Safest Stripper. And the problem with those is they, they work, but they take a long time. And what I mean by a long time, we're not talking minutes, we're talking hours and sometimes even days. So generally what I'd like to do is take small sections, apply that safer stripper on there, 
let it sit, cover it, and let it sit overnight and come back and see if it scrapes up, and usually it works works well. Regardless, removing that you know, coating off this, this, in this case, this bluestone, and then determining what's causing the moisture. Now, if you can't find what the moisture is, then I would leave it open. I wouldn't coat it with anything. I would just go ahead, remove all the coating that's on there, you know, clean it really well, let it, let it dry, dry out. So hopefully that answers, uh, answers that question or it tells you exactly uh, what to do in that situation at least that, with that particular email. All right, if you have a call in question, uh, go ahead and call me at 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Or as I would mentioned a few minutes ago, you can go ahead and email me at fhuston, which is F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com, or send me an instant message on Facebook, and we'll go ahead and uh, and get to your get to your questions. All right, I had a, a good buddy of mine, you know who you are up there in upstate New York, uh, said he was going to be driving, couldn't listen to the show, but he did have, a, he did have a, a question he wanted me to go over, and that is he wanted to know about testing equipment, and in particular, he was mentioning, mentioning testing equipment for quality control. So what I thought I would do today is kind of go through my testing bag. In other words, the, the bag that I carry on, on inspections on a constant basis and which one of these meters that I use the most often, uh, how do I check for certain things. So let's go through some of these, these uh, meters that I use. All right, the first um, many of you know about is called the gloss meter. And the gloss meter was designed uh, for the paint industry for testing uh, the gloss level on paint on, on automobiles. But we go ahead and we use it in our industry for testing the shine. And I will, uh, the gloss meter can get you in trouble. And it reminds me of a story many years ago. I went to a, a courthouse that had some Tennessee pink marble, and they were having some issues with, you know, keeping it, keeping it polished. They called me in. I trained not the in-house crew, but I actually trained the contractor that got the contract for polishing this material. Now, anyone that knows about Tennessee pink marble knows it's pretty easy to polish. Well, one of the things they asked me was, how do you check? to make sure the contractor is doing his work. You know, how is he how is he making sure he's polishing his areas? So I told him, well, get a gloss meter. And I happened to take out my gloss meter and showed him how it worked. And uh, I get a call about, oh no, two weeks later from the uh, contractor that was doing the work and said, Fred, I think you opened up a can of worms. I go, why? He said, well, all the supervisors, not the supervisors of the contracting company, but the supervisors in this courthouse bought a gloss meter. And there are like six of them. And every morning, all six of these guys would go out with a moisture meter and measure the floor. And I kind of gave them a guideline. I said, if, if, you can, if you can keep that material somewhere between an 85 and above, they're probably doing a fairly decent job. Oh, my God. They, were, they would go, they would get an 83. And it was like, oh, no, you didn't do this area. So I'm kind of reluctant about um, recommending gloss meters to end users, to clients, but they can be a good diagnostic tool for you if you're polishing stone, particularly marble, to determine if you're matching the existing finish, for example, or what we call the factory finish. Uh, a gloss meter can see what you can't see, so a lot of times you can determine where the traffic patterns are simply by using using a gloss a gloss meter. So 
I don't use it very often in inspection purposes, but if you're doing a lot of restoration work, a lot of marble polishing, it'd probably be a good good piece of equipment to have. And you know, nowadays they're coming way down in price. Uh, I think on uh, eBay the other day, or it was Amazon, I saw one for like two hundred dollars. I don't know how well that one works because I don't have that one, but. I remember my first gloss meter, I think I paid almost $1,500 for, but they've come way, way down in price. Okay, my instrument number two, and this is one that I go to on almost all my inspections, you know, depending on the inspection, and that is a moisture meter. You will sometimes hear these called a protimeter, a P-R-O-I-T-M-E-T-E-R, protimeter, but they're a moisture meter. Now, you want to be careful with moisture meters. First of all, let me describe types of moisture meters you want to have. The first type is the standard two-probe wood moisture meter. Those are the moisture meters that have the two prongs on them and you basically can stick them directly into a piece of wood or drywall and it'll give you a reading of the percentage of moisture in the wood or drywall. We're going to use it for a different purposes which I'll get to in a minute. The second type of moisture meter, and the one you'll probably use the most, is a concrete moisture meter. And these use radio signals uh, to actually, they're, they're what we call non-contact or non-destructive moisture meters. In other words, you just place the moisture meter on top of the stone and it gives you a reading. Now, here's where you want to be careful with that type of meter. And that is, you're not going to get a direct moisture content. In other words, let's say you go into a project and you have a floor that was flooded at one particular time and you want to check that floor to make sure that it's dry. And you place the moisture meter on and that needle goes up halfway on the moisture meter and it says, you know, depending on your moisture meter, it can go from 0 to 10, 0 to 100 or whatever. Let's say it's a 0 to 100 moisture meter and you get 50. What does that mean? it doesn't mean 50% moisture. It basically means that there's moisture present. Now, it's, it's what we call a relative reading. It's not a qualitative reading. A quantitative reading It's more of a qualitative reading. So what I tell my customers is that the moisture meter is only going to tell you whether it's dry, whether it's a little wet, or whether it's really wet. So if that moisture meter now pegs, and in my case, I have a, it, it pegs into, a, into the red and makes a loud beeping sound, that tells me, there's still a lot of moisture there. It doesn't tell me what moisture is there, but it does tell me that there is moisture present. If you want a real good reading of the actual amount of, of moisture that's being admitted uh, from the, the stone or the, or the slab, you need what we call a relative humidity reading, which is going to require that you drill a hole in the stone, you put these little probes in there, you let it set for 70 hours or, or so, and you come back, you take a reading, that's going to give you the amount of vapor that's coming out of, and relative, not the vapor, but the amount of humidity coming out of that particular stone. Uh, I actually rarely use that. Uh, I mean, I have in the past, but generally I'll go to my moisture meter uh, right off the bat. Okay, what other instruments do I carry in my in my briefcase? And we're talking meters now. I mean, I have things like, you know, a golf ball I use for tapping, you know, or a ruler that I use for taking pictures and, you know, getting sizes. But we're not going to discuss that. We're actually talking meters that I use. Uh, one of the recent tools that I've found within, and I'm when I say recent, I mean within the last year or so, uh, is a really inexpensive tool that is now inexpensive, but in the past was very, very expensive. And it's an infrared camera. And if you have an iPhone, if you have an Android phone, you can actually buy a adapter, which fits a camera onto your phone for like $300. I think mine cost me three or $400. 
and it works really well. I've actually tested it up against a $20,000 infrared camera and pretty much got the same results. So how does that camera work? I mean, well, what I mean is not how, how can we use it? Well, without getting into details of installation at, at this point, especially in this show, you know, we have issues where a lot of installers do not have coverage on the back of a tile, whether it's a wall or whether it's a floor. So basically, let's imagine you have a floor tile that has dots. In other words, the installer had installed it with dots. You're always going to get questions, especially if it's a lawsuit. Well, how do you know? Well, let's say you can't tear the tile up. I mean, that would be the surefire way would be go ahead, tear the tile up, and you look at it and go, well, there you go. There's the proof in the pudding. Uh, and I've had that happen, and I've had attorneys say, well, how do you know the rest of them are okay and this one is not? Aha, this is where the infrared camera comes into place. Basically, all you need to do is take a hair dryer, and you heat that tile up ever so slightly. I mean, I'm talking 10, 20 seconds, heat it up a little bit and, and get it a little bit warm. It doesn't have to be hot. And then take a picture with your infrared camera. And what you'll discover is that where there is mortar touching the back of the tile, in this case where the dots are, that will show up on the infrared meter. Uh, are on the camera. So, I mean, it'll be obvious. I mean, anybody, uh, I can show you photographs, and I show these photographs during my inspection seminar that I do. Um, they'll show up as plain as day. So, there's, there you go. I mean, there, there's the proof in the pudding. So, the infrared camera is another uh, a great meter that you can use. Um, I have used stud finders uh, for that purpose, where you can take uh, a, a radio-controlled uh, which uses radio frequencies to detect whether there's studs there. And you can run it across the floor of the tile, and it'll pick up areas where the mortar's touching and not. But the infrared camera, by far, uh, everyone can see it. Uh, it's hard to argue the difference. So those are some of the test equipment that, that I carry with me. Now, you know, as I said, I carry suction cups. I have a whole bag of things that I that I cover that we'll go into at another time, unless you have a specific uh, question on that. Again, let me give the phone number one more time, 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. If you have a question about, not just about what I'm talking about, but anything to do with uh, stone and tile installation, fabrication, restoration, uh, whatever it may be, uh, we can uh, get to the answer. And as I said, if I don't know what the answer is, I'll certainly find out uh, what the answer is for you. All right, let me get to my next email. And I get this quite often as well. And that is what they call blue-green bloom. Uh, blue-green bloom, I, I may have mentioned this on one of the other shows in the past, but I'll, it, it's worth mentioning again because it is a big problem. Um, this usually occurs with the accelerator that is used with the CA glues, the super glues. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, uh, fabricators a lot of times will use what is called a super glue. That's kind of super glue you buy uh, in, in the hardware store, the big box store. It's called CA glue, which stands for cyanoacrylate. And, but they use a, a, a spray can, an aerosol spray can, or a pump sprayer that accelerates curing. In other words, you put the glue on, you spray this stuff on there, bingo, it accelerates it and dries it almost instantaneously. Well, a lot of times what happens with certain types of granites, the giallo granites, the yellows, uh, the tannish type, type granites, you'll get what is called a blue-green bloom that will start to develop, and it's a real bear uh, to remove. So uh, how do you remove it? 
two companies uh, sell a, a kit that is specifically designed for this. 10X, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with, and AX sells one called TE Blossom. Uh, T is in Tom, E is in Edward Blossom. And Braxton Bragg also sells a kit called Blue Be Gone. Uh, both kits are pretty much the same. Uh, either one of them, uh, it, it will take repeated applications. So you have to put it in a poultice. It's not going to, sometimes it'll work right away, but in some cases you'll have to continue to repeat it uh, several times. But um, uh, it, this occurs with that accelerator. There's not a lot you can do to prevent it other than to not use the accelerator. The CA glues will cure without uh, the accelerators, but they take a longer time. And a lot of times, um, fabricators are a little impatient and don't, especially in the installers, and they don't want to uh, wait for that blue green to develop. I had an interesting story that happened about a year ago where I had a fabricator call and he said the entire countertop was, was getting this bluish green. And I was kind of a little puzzled because I, you know, I asked him, first of all, do you use CA glue? And he said, no, we never use it. So, you know, we did a little digging and through some investigative techniques, I was able to determine that the carpenter that was installing the cabinets was putting a trim up above the cabinets. And he was using some CA glue for whatever purposes. I don't know if he was using it to attach the something or fix something or whatever. He was spraying the accelerator standing on the countertop and that accelerator just kind of sprayed down into the mist on the countertop and voila, it got the blue green uh, bloom that occurred, but it wasn't from the fabricator. It was from somebody else. So uh, that's something you might want to check if you're having that issue, if you're having that issue, but you're not causing that issue. In other words, you're not using CA glue is uh, check with some of the, uh, some of the other, other trades. Right. Um, another email came in and I get this one on a regular basis as well. And that is why does this green marble seem to be curling on the edges? Well, the answer is simple. And the answer is you should not, should never use water-based setting materials on a lot of the green marbles. Um, you know, even the Vermont marble will, will have a tendency to, to warp uh, or what as we know in the industry as hysteresis. Now, those of you that have heard that term, there are, there are several types of hysteresis that occur. The most common one is called thermal hysteresis, and that's where you have granite panels that bow on the outside of the building, and that's usually because what happens is the, the slab on the outside gets heated much hotter than this than behind the slab, which is cooler, and it disorients those crystals in the stone, and they never do lock back into shape, so you end up with a bow. Something similar happens with hysteresis with green marble. So I can walk into into any project and see warped marble, and without even tearing a tile up, I know right away that they didn't use the proper setting mortars. What is the proper setting mortar? In most cases, it's going to be using epoxy. Now, there are methods of back buttering it with epoxy, then setting it in, in mortar, but uh, you know there, there are some tricks there. And I've also heard that I think Mapei or Laticrete both have setting mortars now that are water-based that will work uh, with, uh, with these green marbles. But if you have that issue, there's really not a good fix. I mean, I've tried many times to grind it down, but what are you doing when you're grinding it down? You're adding additional water, correct? So... 
you end up having that that issue as well. So uh, if you end up with this this hysteresis problem, uh, which reminds me of a funny story I tell my students occasionally. Years ago, I had a uh, an airport, small airport, small regional airport. Had the entire lobby was done in, in green marble. And it was probably about. 10,000 square feet and it was all curling. So I got called in, I walked in and sure enough, I looked at it. Uh, I even went as far as tearing a tile out to prove to them that this was what the problem was. Well, I wrote my report and about a week after I wrote my report, the airport called me and said, we want you to come in with a meeting uh, with us and the installer. And my first thought was, oh my God, this is going to be fun. And uh, I said, okay. So I showed up and we were in this conference room with about six people from the airport and this little Italian man sat at the end of the table who was the installer and everybody introduced themselves and they asked the installer at the end of the table, they said, sir, uh, can you tell us why this green marble is warping like it is? Now, this is not a joke. This actually happened, and uh, if, if you read this, the, the Stone Detective on the Slippery Rock is that I think I actually did a story on this one time, but it's, it's a true story. This little old man uh, with a Thai, heavy Italian accent looks at everybody, and he says, he says it almost word for word. He says, let me tell you why this is a problem. He goes, a green marble does not like to get a wet, and when you mop the floor, it gets a wet now. He go, and he goes on, okay, so far, all right, all right, we'll listen to what he says. He says, now, when you wet the floor, the green marble has plants in it. That's right, I said plants. And the plants begin to grow, and that causes the marble to warp. And I thought the guy was joking. I go, he, he thinks there's plants in this green marble because it's green, and uh, they all kind of looked immediately at me, and he's, this guy was dead serious. He wasn't kidding. And he looked at, they looked at me and said, well, what do you think? And I go, well, that's not exactly what happens. And I went ahead and explained what hysteresis is anyway. He got all huff and puffy and left. Long story short, he had to foot the bill to replace all that material. I don't know whatever happened. I don't know whether they replaced it with more green marble or whether they went ahead and chose a different, different material. They never, never got back to me uh, on that. All right. We're slowly ticking down through all our email questions here from last week. But as I said, if you have a question to call in on, the phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. And feel free to interrupt me at any time and I'll gladly take your question live or, as I said, email me or uh, send me an instant message on Facebook. All right. One I get all the time, especially for new fabricators, fabricators that aren't experienced, and that is they're having trouble polishing the edge. And I've actually gone out and have done seminars with several fabricators over the years. And, you know, they, they tell me they know we're using this grit, we're using this system, uh, we're polishing all the way up to the final polish, and we just can't get a polish on the final polishing pad. So I started some specific questions and I get down to this question how are you using that polishing pad well what do you mean how we're using it? we're using it just like we use the diamonds we'll put the polishing pad either a black or white one on our on our polisher we add water and we go to town and we're just not getting a polish and I go aha that's what you're doing wrong those polishing pads are designed especially on your dark colored granites to be used from wet to dry so basically what I do take my polisher 
whether I'm using an air polisher or an electric polisher, I'll add water to the edge and then I'll turn the water off and I'll polish that water till it's very, very dry and then continue going until it's dry. And if you do that, you will pop a shine on that material. That works particularly well uh, when you're polishing edges on, on black absolute. However, with engineered materials, the quartz surfaces, because um, you, you can actually burn, burn the edge. So, so be careful there. All right. My next email question uh, is kind of a smelly one. Uh, how do I get urine smell out of marble? Well, first of all, I don't know why architects and designers install marble over men's urinals, but they do. And as we all know, us guys sometimes miss and uh, we end up missing the urinal and you get urine all over the floor. Well, not only does urine etch into the marble, but it also causes a nasty stain. Now, getting the stain out is one thing, but, but getting the smell out is another. Fortunately, there are what we call enzymes. And you can buy these enzymes either in a carpet cleaning supply place, janitorial supply place, and you can even go to the pet shop and uh, get the urine stuff that they use for removing urine smell out of carpet from your dog peddling on, on your carpet. They are enzymes that eat away at the odor. Uh, well, it, it, it takes some time. You have to spray it on there. You have to let it soak in. You got to let it work. It's going to take some time to work. Uh, you may have to you know, apply it a couple of different times. And then what I would recommend doing is either covering uh, that stone, putting mats there or whatever. Or what I've done in some cases is have them tear out a few tiles under the urinals beyond, you know, maybe a foot or two beyond the urinals and put in something like porcelain tile that has a similar pattern to the, to the marble. And that works really effectively because a, a good porcelain is not going to be as absorbent as uh, as marble will marble marble will be. So that's one way to deal with that that problem. Okay, next email was a concern with. Now let me explain what the what the issue was and why this person is concerned. Uh, they had a flood, uh, probably from a hurricane, and the client called the insurance guy in and the client claims that the flood caused the tiles to become hollow that now before the flood the tiles were fine now that it flooded the tiles are now hollow i love this question because i get it all the time i get it all the time with floods that uh, especially as i said in florida with a lot of hurricanes window breaks water leaks in under a door all of a sudden the tiles are hollow and they want the entire floor replaced and my answer to that is it is BS. Uh, hollow tiles are not caused by flooding. Chances are, and I'm 99 and 99, 100% sure, those tiles were always hollow. And think about this for a minute. What is thinset? What is the mortar that we're using in most cases to install tile? It's Portland cement. It's, 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 it's concrete. Concrete is hydraulic. What does that mean? That means it'll cure underwater. And over time, water will actually increase the strength of con concrete. So tiles are not going to debond from a flood or from water being spilled on them. Unless it's brand new and it's just set and the mortar is still wet, that's not going to happen. So in this particular case, this person claimed that uh, the hollows are now, the tiles are all now hollow because the flood occurred and it just doesn't, doesn't occur. How you prove it? You give them a lesson on concrete uh, hydrolysis and, and how it, how it uh, cures underwater. 
All right. So we that, well, we're slowly ticking away at here at, at the uh, at, at the questions here. Um, this one I get all the time as well. And this is kind of one of my pet peeves. And one of my pet peeves is everybody throwing up the mold issue. Uh, oh, my floor got wet. My tile got wet. Now I'm concerned there's going to be mold in the tile. Now you got to replace it all. And here's my answer to that question. First of all, there are hundreds of thousands of different types of mold. Most of them are not toxic. Now, there are toxic molds out there. Right now, wherever you are, I don't care where you are in the world, uh, you're breathing in mold spores. They're everywhere. Mold needs a couple of different things in order to grow and propagate. It needs moisture, and it needs an organic food source. In other words, something for it to live on. Marble is not organic. Your setting materials hopefully aren't organic. So unless you've introduced some type of organic substance into that installation, uh, a sewage leak would be an example, um, a flood caused by salt water or, or water from a river or, or nearby uh, groundwater, anything with an organic nature to it may contain mold. And the question I get again all the time is how do I test for that? How do I look at a piece of stone that there's no obvious signs of mold? It's not darkening. It's not staining. How do, how do I determine if there's mold there? And unfortunately, you can do it, but you have to tear up a tile. And you could go into Home Depot or Lowe's or any of these uh, big box stores, and you can pick up what they call a mold. And you just basically open this test kit up. Some of them have a little Petri dish. Uh, others have tape that you use, and you tear that tile up. And if there's no mold present, you just go ahead and take some swabs of that particular area. You put it on, place it on the Petri dish. You close it up. You mail it to the lab and the lab will determine if there mold you it, mold you can actually see mold growing on it don't be too upset because like i said mold is going to be everywhere uh, they will determine the type of mold that it is so you can go back to your client and say uh no there's mold no mold present or yes there is mold present uh is it toxic yes it is no it's not um chances are it's probably not toxic mold um there are ways to get rid of mold uh, there are chemicals out there. There are foggers out there, which I've actually used in my own home, which will get rid of uh, mold in, 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 in walls and such. But uh, I wouldn't get really scared and, you know, run to the doctor right away thinking that you're going to have a mold issue or you're going to die uh, from, from mold issues. So um, I'd be careful there. All right, looks like we're ripping right through these questions here. I've got a couple of more. Uh, let me give you up the phone number one more. That is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968 if you want to call in with a question. Uh, again, you can send me an email, which is fhuston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Or on, you know, let me talk uh, on Facebook. I mentioned this on all my shows. Is In addition to my Stone Forensic Facebook page, I also have what is called a stone inspection. It's called stone inspection forensics um, forum 
which you can get to only by invite. You have to actually send, you'll you go to that, just search stone inspections on Facebook. You'll get to it. It'll ask you to, you know, do you want to be invited or whatever it exactly says. And I can take you in as an invite. And it's, it's pretty interesting because there are professionals in there. Uh, every Friday we list what we call a failure Friday. Uh, so we, we put up a failure, which is the one I discussed at the very beginning or the top of the show. So you might want to, uh, Log in there and join. I'll be happy to have you participate or even uh, contribute if you have an answer. I don't know all the answers, so uh, it's nice to have some other other opinions as as well. All right, this my last question that I have for this week is a repair in a shower. This uh, person sent me an email last week and said, "Fred, I've got an issue with the epoxy that I'm using in a shower." And I'm like, okay, what's the issue? He says, I go in, I make the repair. I've got some little holes that apparently someone drilled the glass door at one time, and there were holes left there, and he goes in and fill them, and he said the epoxy is discoloring. And I go, what do you mean it's discoloring? He says, it's turning yellow. I go, really? And I said, oh, well, what kind of epoxy are you using? And he said, well, I'm using Akimi. I go, really? So hopefully you know where I'm going with this. And I said, Okay, explain to me how you're mixing this epoxy, quote-unquote epoxy. And he says, well, I opened a can. He said, I'm using the knife grade, and it's transparent. And he says, I place it on a piece of cardboard. I just put a hunk on the piece of cardboard there, and uh, I add the hardener. I said, well, what color is a hardener? And he goes, it's a little white tube. And he says, I, you know, I mix that up, and I place it in there, and I stir it up, and I make my repair. And I said, well, I know what your problem is right away. And he goes, well, how can you tell? I go, because you're not using epoxy. He goes, what do you mean not using epoxy? I said, you're using polyester. Polyester does not like water. It's not the proper glue to use in a shower or in a wet area. You want to use a true epoxy. Now, I always tell people all the time, a lot of times when people say epoxy, it's like, it's like saying, here, go make me a Xerox of this. It just simply means you're going to make a copy of something, right? Well, this is the case here. A lot of people will use the word epoxy, meaning a glue. So, and I, I know I've harped on this, on on the on the show before, but it's um, it, it's it's a serious issue because I see it all the time. I've seen epoxies used outdoors. Stone delaminates, stone falls off. This laminations fall off because polyesters are being used and not true epoxies. If it's a true a true epoxy, it'll be either a one to one mixture by volume, or in some cases a two to one. Uh, volume, you're, you're mixing either equal amounts or, or large amounts of each, uh, and you're stirring it up really well. If you're adding a, that little bit of hardener, whether it's a clear hardener or that little white hardener, you're not using an epoxy. You're using a polyester. And, you know, most fabricators like using polyesters because it's quick. It sets up really quick, but then you end up with problems later on down the road. I mean, last week on last week's show, if you haven't didn't listen to last week's show, uh, we did a whole show on rotting. And what can happen to rods? Go back and listen to last week's show, and you'll see I interviewed an individual that repairs a lot of those, and a lot of them are rotting. And in, in, in my fabrication seminars, we, we actually take two strips of granite. We put a rod in each, one using epoxy, one using polyester. And the next day, we come back, and I can take a screwdriver and just stick it in that rod with the polyester and pop it right out. And it, it just pops right out where the epoxy, you actually get the epoxy is in there. It's such a good bond that it'll literally pull the stone with it. So if you want strength, you want to use epoxy. 
Now, there are other, uh, what I guess you call hybrid glues that exist out there uh, that are urethane-based or acrylic-based. Uh, some of those work really good. Uh, in the end, what I would recommend is that you go ahead and contact the manufacturers and ask them, you know, how does this stuff hold up to UV light? How does this stuff hold up to moisture? And they should give you the proper answer if they know what they're talking about. When in doubt, though, go ahead and use epoxy as opposed to polyester. All right, I'm about through all my questions. Let me go ahead and uh, plug a couple of things here while I'm waiting on, on some phone calls. Otherwise, I'll go ahead and end the show for this week. Uh, one more time, the phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Uh, go ahead and send me an email. It doesn't have to be now. You can send any time uh, next week when we'll be on the air again discussing some of answering some of your questions. If anybody out there wants to be interviewed, whether a manufacturer, you're selling a product that has to do with stone or tile, Definitely send me an email, and I'll entertain the idea of getting you on the air and entertaining you. If you've got something to share or store to share, uh, again, feel free to either call uh, call now or uh, go ahead and send me an email, and we'll go ahead and uh, get to that email or get you on the show if you want want to be interviewed. Uh, I also want to mention that normally I'm holding my stone inspection classes. I've been holding them once a year in Las Vegas in January, uh, right around the time that Stone Expo occurs. Uh, this year, I'm adding a second stone inspection seminar that's going to be held here in Melbourne, Florida. If ever anyone is interested, just simply go to my uh, website, which is stoneforensics.com, and click on the uh, training button. You can see all the information there. Or just go ahead and give me a call. Um, my phone number, this is my cell phone number, is 321-514-6845. That's 321 321- Five one four six eight four five. Well, I had a good time answering all these questions. Again, send me some more questions. I'm more than happy, and uh, we'll see everyone next Wednesday at six p.m. And everybody have a great rest of the week and a great weekend. This is Fred Houston signing off. Mm-hmm.